Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking, I finally reached out for help. Letting others help me is why I'm here today, living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at SoberGratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Sober Gratitudes is a podcast dedicated to spreading the hope in recovery from addiction. It is an inclusive show that does not promote or represent any recovery program. When my guests and I discuss what keeps us sober, we are referring to our own unique experiences. Our goal is to encourage and give hope to those who are struggling and need support. Sober Gratitudes podcast is proud to come together and partner with Valor Fitness Clothing in our mutual mission to support and encourage the recovering community. Based in Los Angeles and inspired by real recovery, Valor Fitness lives up to its mission. With one item sold, Valor Fitness donates one item to a homeless shelter or transitional rehab facility. Because Valor Fitness Clothing supports Sober Gratitudes mission, everyone can receive a discount when shopping. Use the code GRATITUDE20 at checkout. Also, every guest on my podcast will be graciously given a gift certificate from Valor. We're stronger together when we come together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sober Gratitudes. My name is Sarah, and I am your host. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited about this interview. I handpicked the guest today, Saya Nelson. And that is your, that is your, your Instagram handle is your name, correct, Saya? It's s.nelson42. Okay. Okay. And why the 42? I, I was number 42 for basketball this time. My sisters were also, it just got passed down to us. So, I don't okay. know. <laughs> so you were actually an athlete? Yes. Yes. Okay. I played basketball, volleyball, and softball all growing up. And then I started as a sophomore on varsity for all three. So, okay. Okay. Yes. I was, I was an athlete as well. And then drinking became much more important to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny how that works, you know? <laughs> so to, um, just to get some qualifications before we talk about the fun stuff, what got you into drinking? I think for me, um, being able to look at the backstory. So I have been sober since April 10th, 2015. Um, my ex-husband confronted me that morning with two large garbage bags full of empty vodka bottles. 
and said, you go to rehab, you talk to a counselor and you go to meetings or I'm taking the kids back to Illinois. We had just moved here eight months before from the Chicago suburbs. So it was a quick, just a quick downward spiral. Um, I think being able to look at that part of it, that eight months, I was isolated. I didn't know anyone out in Denver. I didn't have to know anyone. My older two kids could walk to school. I have three kids. Uh, my oldest will be 19 in a week. Um, my daughter just turned 15 and my youngest is 10. So I think it was a lack of accountability and the ease of being able to isolate. So growing up, I am the fifth of six girls in my mom's side is all Irish Chicago drink all the time kind of thing. I didn't really know any different. Um, I did learn that my dad was allergic to alcohol when I was young. I had no idea what that meant until about April 12th of 2015 when I heard it and it just clicked. Uh, but I think for me, when I was able to write, start writing, really writing out my timeline and when things started to go downhill, I was able to see that from that very first drink at 12 or 13, I wanted more. I, I wanted that feeling of not having to be present and not having to feel anything around me. And so then from 13, probably till 33, when I came into the rooms, I think there were periods where I was able to stay sober through every pregnancy, nursed each kid for 10 and 11 months. I was able to, it didn't even cross my mind then. But I think after we moved here, it almost dawned on me that I had completely lost who I was. I didn't know who I was as a woman. I didn't know, I felt like my identity was just mom. And sometimes when I say that, I feel like it's not a knock on moms who stay home because I was staying home with my youngest at the time. It's not a knock at stay at home moms versus work outside of the home moms, any of that. But what it was for me was knowing what I needed and what made me most useful. And that was helping people in general. I worked as a, I worked in a, at a church at the time before we moved here doing guest services for conferences and events. So I worked a lot with volunteers. I worked a lot with older adults. So I just feel like it was almost this God conscience thing talking to me, like you, you need to be of service. And when you're not, you're not even helping yourself. You can't even care for yourself. And it was like that hit me that morning. I re I, Every time I say this, I, it literally takes me back to that morning where I can see his face and exactly what I'm wearing. And he said, I will take the kids and go back. And I remember looking at him in the face and I said, you will never take my children away from me. And that was the last, that was my first day of sobriety. I called a million places, started going to meetings right away, went to 65 in my first 32 days because I had to. And so I think for me, one of the biggest things I try to say is that my story and your story and anyone else's who we know mutually or not in recovery will never be the same. I can compare 
how bad I was to someone else. And it might not be so bad, but what I need to, what I really needed to get was that it needed to be as bad as I needed it to be in order for me to want better. So when people would say to me, especially old timers, you know, I, I spilled more alcohol than you drank. I'm like, that's great. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I'm glad I'm here today. And I'm glad that I found recovery when I did. And it was almost like a relief that I had been caught that morning. And my sister had just flown in. My sister, who is just older than me, had just flown in from Virginia the night before. I keep saying that it was an, I'm quite sure it was an intervention. But I don't even remember her coming home from the airport. I don't remember her being there at all until I woke up at two o'clock in the morning on the couch and looked over and she was sitting next to me with tears in her eyes. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I was afraid if I fell asleep that you wouldn't wake up. And so it was the very next morning. So I'm sure she had a conversation with him sometime. And I'm sure because it was the very next morning that he confronted me. And then she was there through the weekend and, you know, helped me call places, drove me and the kids around because they wouldn't trust me to drive, that I was probably still drinking. So I, I think when it comes to that piece, especially with sponsees, when it comes to that piece of you have no idea where I've been or how bad I was, and, and that's okay. I might not. I might not have done things that you have done, or, and you might not have done things that I have done. Thank God we're both here. We are both in the solution. And if, if you want to stay stuck in comparing that stuff or saying I'm, I'm not qualified enough to be in these rooms, that's okay. That's on you. I can't carry that. I'm here and I could not be more grateful. I was thinking about it this morning that I am 68 months sober today. Four, in four months from today, God willing, less than 120 days, I will have six years of sobriety. You could not have bet me $1,000 I would make it 68 days. So every single day, my, my dad, my stepdad is back in Chicago. He texts me every morning. It's probably missed time. And he reminds me of that because I'll have people say, why, you know, you, why do you count all the days? Well, I count the days because I, I really try to make the days count. Mm -hmm. And if I don't count the days, there are people in early recovery who are like, oh, thank God I have 101 days. You know what? I have 2,068 days. You can get here too. I promise because I was where you were. Mm -hmm. So just keep doing one day at a time. It's amazing. I love it. And I have to say that from what it looks like on your Instagram account, you make it seem very easy. And I'm curious to know, were there times that it was really difficult? Uh, I think, so I think the easy answer on that is yes, of course. And I was talking actually with a sponsee this morning, um, saying almost that same thing. I said, people will message me all the time and say, you have almost this positivity around you or that you project that makes it seem like life is always positive. And I think what, for me, my simple answer is, of course, life is not always easy simply because I'm sober. 
in my first year of sobriety, I, I went through a divorce. I had to go through a parental responsibilities evaluator. I had to go through a substance abuse evaluator, court. I had no job. I had nowhere to live. I was just starting back to school and we had just moved here eight months before. So literally every day in that first year was like, oh my gosh, okay. I, and I think probably three months or so into sobriety, it like clicked with me that I didn't want to do that white knuckling feeling anymore. I'd, I'd been starting to do the work, but not really letting my guard down. But I, something clicked where I thought, I don't, I don't want to go to bed every night thinking, oh, God, thank God I didn't drink today. I, I want to live in this recovery. And how I react to all of this going on around me, because everything that was going on around me, they were all just waiting for me to fail instead of hoping that I kept succeeding. So I think when I was able to kind of sit in that, like, okay, I want to live in recovery. How do I do that? Well, I stop trying to prove them wrong. Really, I have to. I have to let that go. They can't be my motivation. I cannot be in recovery only for my kids. I need to start trying to prove myself right and, and being in recovery for the woman I want to become. Mm. So when I, and then years two and three, honestly, my dad died five days before I had a year of sobriety. My oldest son, yeah, it, you know, I have all his um, literature and all of that. It's, it's really pretty cool. But my oldest was 15, between 15 and 17. He got in trouble with drugs and he was in and out of juvenile detention centers. I was in court probably at least once a week. So he was missing for one point three, for three days. And I sat, I slept in my car and drove around and looked for him. And I was alone. I was alone doing this. And I, and every time I say that, it like, I feel, I can feel it drop in my throat because I know I wasn't alone. I had people in meetings who would call me and say, let me come help you. Let me just sit with him, drop off your younger two and go find him. Mm -hmm. And I got a call while I was looking for him that he was down at a convenience store. They knew he was there. So I ran back to my car. I had been looking for him in a neighborhood. I ran back to my car and my car wouldn't start. And it was newer, it had no reason not to start. And I, I swear to you, if I ever had a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience, that was it. I sat there and I just dropped my hands and I said, okay, I don't know what to do. If you, if you know where he is, if I'm meant to find him right now, I need to find him. I can't do this anymore. My heart can't take this anymore. And I, I couldn't stop crying. And I turned the car over. It started right away. I followed him through, the, through Walmart for about 20 minutes while the police closed the front door and the back door, and they arrested him. And today, he will be 19 next week. He is doing amazing. And I think the best part of it is that he will text me, and this is where it's going to get me. He will text me randomly and say, Mom, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the work you've done and I'm so proud that I get to be on this with you and thank you for everything you did for me. And I don't do things for my kids to get a thank you, but hearing that from this six foot three kid who has turned into a great young man is, is pretty amazing. So when people say, you know, 
you make recovery see i've heard this before i heard i heard it the other day from a friend and i said i think knowing what i've been through truly in five years of sobriety i can't look at anything any other way than thank god for a new day and that's it <laughs> why after knowing truly how much better life can be on this side why would i go back to that why would i choose willingly because i think it would be a willing choice for me at this point to say hmm one drink sounds good i think knowing i i would and i i think my simple answer is when when I came into recovery, I wanted to learn how to drink normally. I didn't want to drink like I was. I didn't want to feel like I was. Mm -hmm. And when I learned that I could actually live without literally pouring poison into my body, I started to realize that I would have completely sold myself short had I come in, sat in a chair, left, and realize, oh, I just didn't drink. I don't want to just not drink. I want to live a journey of recovery every day, whatever that looks like for that day. So I think that's where my routine and, and morning, everything, my self-care part has, yeah. to, has to come into play. Yeah. You're really showing that in, in, um, in, on your Instagram account. It's so, so inspiring. So you, you to me are very, seem to be a highly motivated person. What motivates you, I guess, to keep up with the fitness level that you're at? I know how much better I feel when I start my day with self-care. And you could not have ever woken me up at four o'clock in the morning when I was in active addiction, mostly because I was probably going to bed around then anyway but there was not a time when I would willingly get up to a four o'clock alarm and go, okay, let's get the day going. And I, you know, I'm not sure when it really clicked in sobriety. Um, it was probably in about, about a year and a half or so into sobriety after every, all the dust had really settled with everything, the first part of everything at least. And then I realized, I, I think I realized that when I started taking care of myself and taking care of my health, that I just felt better, that, that no matter what happened that day, I just felt better when I would get up and read. And I've probably been doing this for three and a half years, the same morning routine, no matter where I am. And, no, and it's going to look different wherever I go. But I'm able to consciously prepare for that and say, okay, I need to have my big book, my journal, my miracles of recovery book. I'm going to make sure I have at least something, you know, I, the motivation part I think is, especially when all of COVID shut down, all the gyms, all the rec centers, everything. It came to me. It, it's about acceptance for me. And acceptance was something that I learned early in recovery. Look, I can accept that I will never drink again. I'm just going to do today, but my life will never improve with alcohol, period. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of all of this, I had to accept that, look, either I can suck it up and do home workouts because I am capable of doing that because two weeks before COVID, 
I was gifted a weight bench and weights randomly. Like, hey, do you want these? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then when everything shut down, I'm like, yeah, thanks, God. You know, I have a friend in the program. She's like 27 years sober and she will always say, is it odd or is it God? I'm like, oh, shut up. We know it's not odd. You know, God, it drives me nuts. <laughs> she always says it like she's really inquiring. I'm like, you're not really asking me. I know the answer. Okay. <laughs> it's never odd. So I think, I think saying, and you know, I know I'm not alone in the fact that it's a lot of what I do is all or nothing. It's either I'm all in when I was in active addiction, or I'm going to be all in, in things that will keep me healthy and clear-minded. And it's so much more than just a physical workout for me. I, it's, it's the mental part. It's, it's my quiet time. And when I come home from the gym, you know, before 6.30, everybody's still sleeping. I'm able to shower and get ready for work and then start getting the day. And I've already had, you know, three hours to myself. It, it feels so empowering for me to know that I'm able to take that time instead of rushing around at the end of the day and going, okay, I have an hour now before I can do anything. I don't want to feel that way. Then it feels like I'm putting myself last again. And I don't want to go there. That takes me down the tunnel of isolation. Yeah. Well, you answered my question. I was going to ask, how has it been for you through COVID? I think really, um, again, my regular gym, they recently just put on more restrictions down to, you have to make an hour appointment only, but they've been open since June. So really from March to June, it was, again, same with meetings. We could all be pissed off that they didn't have, there's no in-person meetings, or we can say, hey, I get to connect with people from New York to Canada, to the West Coast, down to Houston. Mm -hmm. And I get to meet these people and I get to hear about their lives and their stories. Mm-hmm. Or I can sit in, you know, and not be a part of it. Because by not being a part of it, it doesn't mean I get to go to in-person meetings that don't exist yet, right. you know? So I think it was really like all, of course, it's not been pleasant for anyone. You know, I work in home care. I work with a lot of older adults who are isolated. So I think I try to bring that, change of perspective. It's all of the mindset stuff for me. It's the, you know, that's why I love the quote, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm -hmm. Like I, it was snowing last week and that quote came to my mind out of nowhere. I was driving, it was terrible driving. And it came, that quote came to me and I thought, that's exactly it today. There are still wildfires burning up in Northern Colorado. They needed the snow today. So I can drive through this. It's really not terrible. They're going to get more snow. I'm fine. And I, I think it's that for me, it's not being all, um, you know, Pollyanna-ish about it, that everything's all hunky-dory. Life happens. I went through way too much life on life's term stuff in my first four years of sobriety to not realize that life stuff still happens. Mm-hmm. But how I react to it, I could have easily, people probably said to me when my oldest was going through all of that, almost on a daily basis, well, you just go get a bottle of wine. You deserve a drink. Hmm. And I think that's why I share a lot. Like, I don't deserve a drink. I deserve to take care of myself in a healthy way. 
I deserve to say, okay, really, what am I feeling? Why am I so sad? Why am I fearful? What is that primary emotion behind it? And how can I, who can I reach out to just because I'm five and a half years sober doesn't mean I don't need help. Doesn't mean I can't reach out to people and say, can you listen to me for a minute? Then I'm allowing them to be of service. Saya is in California right now because she is, uh, she, I guess, promotes um, fitness attire. Um, And I didn't really know anything about Valor Fitness before I started to kind of get, get to know you. So can you share about that and how you feel that it seems like it's a very big part of your service work? Yeah, I I think the simple answer is that, again, we are all in this together. And there are so many, there are so many businesses promoting and um, encouraging healthy living. And, um, you know, I think for me, the, the quick turn towards Valor was that I obviously need gym clothes. I needed comfortable gym clothes. I came across a sober AF shirt one day on Instagram and it, this is only this past May. And I remember seeing it and I thought, would I actually wear that? And when I, when that thought came almost out of my mouth to my youngest, my 10 year old, I, he saw the shirt too. And I said, do you think I could wear that? He's like, well, why wouldn't you? You tell everybody about recovery anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you're right. And you know, I, I keep sharing about him. He's just truly, I think we have a bond because he has grown. He was four when I came into recovery. He has grown up with me. He just knows how it is. Mm-hmm. So when I made that first order, the owner who is Jim, he founded Valor Um, really based on his own story and where he had been and where he is now. And he sent a pullover, long sleeve pullover for Lincoln and it had the logo and Lincoln was so touched. He's really just a a little tiny 10 year old in an old soul. He was so touched. He thought it was the sweetest thing. And it came with a personalized card. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to support any kind of fitness brand because I need clothes, why wouldn't I support one that truly for every item purchased, an item is donated? Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I want to do that? And honestly, I love the clothes. I love how they fit. Uh, They are truly, I, my closet is now full of valor. So I came out in November and was truly had the opportunity to serve on Skid Row with Jim and a couple others from, from just the Valor community. And what, what that showed me was that he really is a man of his word and behind his company. And we brought almost 500 items of food and shirts and all of that to people who need it. So this afternoon, we're going to go to the sober living house that he was at. And, you know, I, I think for me, it's funny. People will say to me, you get so sensitive when you talk about recovery, (laughs) you you act like such a hard ass. Otherwise I'm like, well, thank you, I guess. But, (laughs) but I think for me, 
it it is unbelievably humbling and a reminder of where I have been. It might not have been to that depth. It might not have been where anyone else in that group has been. But I don't ever want to take for granted one day in recovery. And when I get exactly what you said, this is exactly what I thought of when you were talking about lining up interviews and all of that to get out of your, it get, immediately gets yeah. you out of your head. You are helping somebody. Yes. So it didn't, any time, you know, when, when I get a call or a text from someone saying, hey, do you have a minute to talk? I had, I woke up this morning to four texts from a friend in Denver who's really struggling. And those are reminders to me that I am where I am today because of the people who helped me at the mm -hmm. beginning, mm -hmm. because of the people who said, yes, I have a minute. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded, you know, somehow I got to be in this incredible Instagram sober community who loves and supports. And I think that's why I, I take such offense when people say, you know, you, you see everyone's highlight reel. I'm like, mine is not all highlights. And I will never share only highlights because that's not reality to me. And I share vulnerably and openly because I know where I used to be. And I know there are people who are there right now. I just know it because I get messages from them saying, yeah. I listened to that video or something. And that was so out of my box to do any of those, but I had a woman with much more wisdom than I have say, you know, try it, just do one video for one week. And then when I stopped after that week, people were like, well, why aren't you going to do any more? I'm like, I don't know what to say. They're like, but you do because you just yeah. start and something comes out. Yeah. And I, so all of those, all of that stuff is the work that I have to do today in order to keep my spiritual fitness, mental fitness, my physical fitness, all where I needed it to be in order to be exactly what you just said is what I say all the time, to be the woman I believe I was supposed to be all along, hidden under and pushed down and drowned by alcohol. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I hid in that isolation and truly what felt like the grips of my alcoholism for so long that I think when I started to feel the gifts of sobriety really happen, when I could show up when I was supposed to, when I could help my kids, when I could tell the same story to four or five people and it was all true and I didn't have to think about who I told that to. Mm -hmm when those things started happening and when I was still seeing all of the mom wine culture, mm. and then when I would have people say to me, how bad were you? I think it was almost like this internal burning where I finally was like, people would not look at, people would never look at this podcast right here and think, wow, that is two recovering alcoholics. I, or 10 years ago, those women were alcoholics. And, and why? Why? Because we are white women and, you know, because we don't fit that stigma. We don't fit that portrayal of what an alcoholic is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And I, I, for me, 
I know that what I have learned is that women who I have worked with, who I have cried and prayed and laughed through sobriety with, got to where I got pretty, pretty much the same way. And that it is a really quick life turnaround for a lot of women. And if we can't all recover together, that's my biggest part, is recovering out loud together. I share who I have nothing to be afraid of. People will say to me, well, what if somebody from work says something to you? I'm like, first of all, I work with older adults and their families in care for them. So tell me how they wouldn't think being sober would benefit them. (laughs) But also like, you know, I have this tattoo and I, it happens all the time. I'll be in a dress and they'll say, oh, you're in recovery. Well, only people in recovery know what one day at a time means. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I think there's almost like this film over addiction where we're just slowly peeling it back and going, okay, look, we can hear a little bit more. Oh, maybe my perception of what an alcoholic looks like under a bridge with a brown bag, maybe that's not really how it is. And I think through COVID, we've been able to see that a lot of it is isolating at home. When we are able to really pull back all the layers of what our preconceived notion of what an alcoholic looks like, what I have learned through women who are reaching out to me is that a lot of that person and I am proud to be one of those people today because I'm on the other side. Yeah. And that a lot are women who are working full-time jobs, managing remote learning, and still ordering wine mm-hmm. through delivery services. Mm-hmm. I was saying that to a friend today. Thank God they didn't have that, honestly. Oh. There, there, there are be- some times where I'll see a random drink at the store like, grapefruit, sparkling. I'm like, why did they have that when I was drinking? I'm like, like it (laughs) mattered, you know? (laughs) But I think that whole, that whole just preconceived idea of, of how an alcoholic should look will only continue to kind of dissipate when we collectively, we share our own stories Mm-hmm. because we are all so different. Mm-hmm. So when we hear about someone who was homeless and is now running a fitness company, and we hear about someone who lived you know, in sober living for five years because they couldn't do it alone, and now they are managing people in an environment, whatever the case is, when we are hearing other people's stories, so many more of us are able to say, oh my gosh, I'm not alone, rather than feeling alone. Right. right. It's so true. It's so true. And for people who don't know about what addiction looks like, like who would look at us and be like, what? Like, like you said before, yeah. like they, they were alcoholics. What? No, 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 no. But we know that, uh, and I know that I had so much shame and I was so pissed at myself that I couldn't control my drinking. Mm-hmm. I desperately wanted to be able to drink like a normal person. Right. But like, right. Whatever that meant. Yeah, what, exactly. <laughs> whatever that meant. But like for me to go up and say to somebody, I'm really struggling because 
I, I'm really annoyed that I take one sip of alcohol and then three hours later I'm passed out from five bottles of wine. Can yeah. you tell me how you can just have half a glass of wine and not right. even like think about it? Like, they feel like, yeah. And that's the thing. And I think that, that like the people like more and more, like I, I'm really eager for like this, I'm <laughs> wanting it like yesterday for everyone to understand like what goes on inside the alcoholic's mind. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and that's, for me, that was getting to the why I could have simply not drank, but, but why, why could I never seem to say, I'm going to have one drink. I'm going to buy a six pack of beer. I'm going to have one of them and the other ones, and then wake up literally at 2 AM with all six empty and two vodka bottles and go, why again? Why? Mm -hmm. So that was really, I think when all of the really hard work started and that was really when I needed, felt like I needed to share more of my story because I knew I couldn't possibly be alone. I just knew it. Yeah. And what a relief, right? To Yes. Yes. Because I, for years, thought I was the only one who thought this way. I thought I was the only one who, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking and I was thinking about when I was going to buy. Oh, wait, I went to that liquor store last night, so I can't go to that one again. I've got to go to it. I had like six liquor stores that I went to. I think I shared that in another interview um, recently, but to be relieved of that obsessive thinking, it's, it's a miracle to me that I, I don't, after two and a half decades of being in love with alcohol, and having it be my partner in life, like knowing that it was going to be like, that was my deal. Like we were yeah. going to go walk hand in hand, you know, dancing to the daisies. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> or throwing up in throwing the weeds. Up in the- <laughs> <laughs> no, like it didn't work out that way. Yeah. And, and so, um, I love, I love the fact that people are recovering out loud right now. And how can we help each other if we don't know each other exists? Exactly. And need help. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this is amazing. This is great. Um, you've given me so much of your time today and I know you have a photo shoot to go to right now, but um, is there anything that you want to close up this interview with? Any, anything that you'd like to share with anybody who's struggling right now as we're in this, these COVID, you know, really yeah. tough times right now and it's the holidays um anything that you like to share i think uh the simplest answer is what i was told when i came in and that was that i don't ever have to feel this way again i didn't ever have to feel that 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 alcohol was my solution like it was at the end it wasn't my problem anymore it became the solution to those and that being on this side, there is a solution. There is a better alternative to everything that I thought was the only life I was going to be able to lead. And the hope and the love and the community, first of all, on social media, especially Instagram, but in person as well, Nobody, nobody can, can 
relate to me or you like someone else who has been there. So for someone early in recovery, all I can say is if you just reach out, know that there's hope that life will get better. I am truly, I'm, I am proof of that. I didn't believe life could ever get better. And it is honestly better than I ever believed it could be. And not only that, but I get to be the woman today that I really think I was supposed to be. And my kids get that mom. Yeah. So I think it just all of those cliches, don't give up. Mm-hmm. Keep reaching out. We're, we're all here, but I can't know that you need help unless you ask me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's as simple as it is. I really, I just, I'm, I'm just so grateful for, for meeting you. And I think you're an amazing person. Keep Thank doing you. what you're doing. You're helping so many people. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. And safe travels back home. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye. All right. Take care, Sarah. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it.